Today, as we begin the Psalms, I want you to think about these Psalms, these three sermons coming, as sort of a playlist for your life. Because we all go through stuff, and we all experience things that often make us pause. We kind of pause for a minute, minute and wonder, what's going on? Why is this happening? When's God going to do something? Today, the message is basically on this idea, still waiting Somewhere, I don't remember the exact year, 2009, 2008, thereabout, Brad Paisley sang a song he did not write, but the name of the song was Waiting on a Woman. Now, this has nothing, this woman, I, if, if, in my marriage, Rhonda waits on me more than I wait on her. That's the way it works in our house. But I lived, I mean, I remember the song, I actually went and looked at the video, and at the beginning of this little video of the song, he's at a mall, and he's calling his wife, and he's sitting on a bench, and he's like, where are you at? I don't know if I'm in the right place. Hey, I'm calling again. Uh, I'm still at the bench. Uh, is there another bench I'm supposed to meet? And he did this like four or five times before he got to the heart of the song. And here's how the, the song basically goes. He was sitting on the bench in the mall, and he, next to him sat an old man wearing his overalls, who kind of told his story of how he met his wife, and on the very first date, he arrived 30 minutes early, and I believe it was like an hour later she came down and basically said, well, you know, I just couldn't figure out what to wear, and da-da-da-da-da. And then, of course, the wedding took a year to plan and went on through their whole life. And the song is about learning to wait on a woman. Now, I have the lyrics they're gone. Because this has nothing to do with marriage, this sermon today. This sermon today has to do with me and you waiting when we're going through something that's very difficult, something that's very trying. And you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you're waiting on God to answer the prayer in the way you've been praying. And sometimes waiting is hard to do. It causes all these emotions and doubt can seep in. And we just wonder, God, where in the world are you at? What in the world are you doing? What is taking so long? Sometimes those revolve around health. We, we all, if we have not, we will at some point experience health issues, either you or someone very close to you. I read a, a part of my hospice work is doing, I have to do online training, and we have so many classes every year. And one of the videos that I watched, really read in this case, was on depression. I, didn't, I learned some things, actually. And it defined in older generations. Now, I was a little offended there for a moment when they defined the older generation as those 62 and up. And I went, wait a minute, I'm in that group. So depression and suicide <clears throat> is actually a big deal in older Americans. And it went on to talk about one of the reasons for that is declining health. For example, people with ALS... And even things like 
arthritis, chronic, continual, unrelenting pain can cause people to become depressed. So if you're going through something health-related and you've prayed for God to remove that, to bring healing, and you're still suffering, you may wonder, God, why is it taking so long? Another reason we pray and wait is when it revolves around the relationships of our life. Many of you are married. Many of you have children. Some of you have grandchildren. And some of us wonder why our relationships aren't as good as we want them to be. And we wonder, God, I have prayed about this, and I have asked you for this. And for some, it may be, I'm looking for the right person to marry, the right person to date. And so we, we, we wonder sometimes when we're in a relationship and it's not going well, what's taking so long? And sometimes these waiting issues may relate with our work, our job. The job either we want, the job we hope for, the job we're in, the stress that comes, and we pray and pray and pray and we wait for God to do something in relation to what we're praying about our job. So these are just some of the things that we worry about and we pray about and we wait. So today, let's look at Psalm 40, uh, verses 1 through 3. And this is what I want you to think about as I read these verses. God will rescue you and God will rescue me at the perfect time. So think about that as I read these verses. God will rescue you at the perfect time. David wrote, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up out of a desolate pit, out of the muddy clay, and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Now, those verses, while short, they get right to the point. And for you and for me, at least this is me, maybe you're exempt, but when I read verses like this, and I read the first few words, I waited patiently for the Lord. And then it says, and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. I read that and I think, God, I just prayed for you to help me. What's taking so long? Why have you not answered my prayer? See, here's something we miss when we read Scripture sometimes. We miss key words. And sometimes when the words are translated from another language, in this case Hebrew, we kind of miss the importance of those words. The phrase that David used, and nobody knows what the situation was in David's life. We don't know if this is when Saul was trying to kill David numerous times or when his son Absalom took the throne and was going to kill his dad. We don't know what David was talking about, but he says, I waited and I waited and I waited and I waited and I'm still waiting. I just keep waiting. God, you've 
See, we don't see that. God was taking his own sweet time in answering the prayer. Because we see, I waited patiently and God turned. But we don't want to wait patiently, do we? I don't like to wait patiently. Yesterday when I was at the grocery store, and I do this every time I go to the grocery store, every time I go to any store, when it comes time to check out, I look at the line. And I, I spy out the shortest line, the fastest line, because I don't want to stand in line a long time. I chose poorly. It wasn't my fault. The person in front of me had a lot of coupons. I did not know that. And God said, you're talking about patience tomorrow, so endure, my friend. We wait patiently, he says. Waiting is something we have to do. Waiting for God to build character within us is what David is saying. I waited patiently, and I kept waiting. The song I mentioned, Waiting on a Woman, the guy of the song, the character, the husband, he said, I've been waiting on my wife for over 50 years. There's been some... See, we are constantly ever waiting in our lives for God to hear us and then mold within us what He wants to build into our life. And so He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He will hear you. He does hear you, but He may not answer immediately. So while we're still waiting, we have to understand. Now, verse 2, He says, He brought me up out of a desolate pit, out of the muddy clay. I, I remember growing up on the hog farm and wearing those rubber boots. Now, the rubber boots were, were helpful because they came up to the knee, and I used them to clean out the hog pens and things that I had to do. But I remember more than once when I stepped in some of the mud in and around the hog pen, and when I went to move, the boot stayed and my foot came out. And the last thing you want to do in a muddy hog pen is fall into the mud. Trust me, you don't want to do that. And I almost fell in the mud more than once. And then you have to hop back and put your foot back in and then hold it to pull it out because it just grips. So when David used this, this idea of being in a muddy pit, murdered in the clay, he says, I'm in a hole, it's muddy, I can't get out. The walls are too slick. My feet are stuck. There's nothing I can do. So he said, God delivered me from that pit. See, sometimes we try to deliver ourselves from the muddy pit. Whatever the pit may be, whether it's our health or whether it's relationships or whether it's our job, our work or school, or whether it's our finances, it doesn't matter what it is. When we're in the pit, stuck in that, begging God to lift us up. We're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for the rope to be thrown. God says, hang on, I got you. And so, that was a dramatic interlude. I couldn't have planned that. So God says he will pull us out 
And then he sets our feet on solid ground. And see, that's where we all want to be. And that's the goal. That's the dream. But it's that muddiness and that despair and that wondering and that doubting and prayer with intensity that we struggle with. Because we all want to get to the third verse. When we're delivered, when we're lifted out of the pit, when we're on that solid rock, that we sing a new song and that we rejoice and we say, God, what you have done is short of a miracle. It is a miracle. And I'm going to tell everybody about it and lives will be changed. That's where we all want to be. But when you're in the pit is what I want us to think about for the next few minutes. When you're in the pit, how do you deal with that? How do you get through the pit? Well, first and foremost, I just want to say this. While you're still waiting, that is an excellent time. You need to trust God more than anything else in this world. Now, you're probably thinking, okay, duh, what's new? Listen, when you're in the pit of despair, and when you've been praying, and while you're waiting and waiting and waiting for God to answer the prayer the way you want it to be answered, it's while you're in the pit, you need to say, God, I need to hear you now more than ever. I need, I'm asking you to trust me. God, I need to trust you more than anything else in this world because there are so many things whispering into my life trying to draw me away from you. So, God, help me to hear you today. Just because I love math, that was sarcasm. Just because of math, there's something called simple addition. One plus one equals two. And if you add another one, three. One plus one plus one, I think I said four ones, is four. So when you're in the pit, as you focus on God, seek Him. Keep praying. Don't quit praying. Seek Him in your prayers and seek Him in Scripture. Open the Bible and read Scripture and say, God, help me find verses that will reaffirm your presence, that will remind me of who you are, that will help me see that I'm not in this alone, that you are walking with me and that you are going to provide for me. God, show me who you are in your word. I am seeking you. And then add to the seeking worship. Worship is more than what we do here. It's what we also do when we're not here. Worship is saying, God, I'm going to honor you with my lips. I'm going to sing a song. I'm going to lift up your name. And we need to worship God in the pit of despair because God, he loves the worship of his people. When Paul was in the Philippian prison, it was around midnight at, 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 that a miracle happened. But as his arms were, were shackled and as his feet were shackled, do you know what Paul and the others were doing? They were singing praises to God, worshiping. And God broke those chains. 
God is still breaking chains. And so seek God. Seek God in prayer. Seek God through Scripture and worship Him. One plus one is two, but yet we still need to add to this addition to follow Him. Don't quit following. Don't quit seeking. Don't give up. Because God is saying to you, I've got it. I'm building something in you that needs to be built while you're in the pit of despair. Just know that you keep following me. Deliverance is coming. When Elijah had the miracle on the mountain, and when the prophets of Baal were slaughtered, and when Jezebel heard about it, Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you like you killed my prophets. If you remember the story, Elijah, when he heard Jezebel speak, the terror of that woman gripped his heart. And in that moment, he took his eyes off of God. He stopped seeking God. He started listening to people. He stopped worshiping God. And he feared for his life, and he ran. And God sent him an angel who gave him some angel food and nourished him and reminded him that he needed to keep following the Lord, reminding him that he wasn't alone. You see, in many ways, we're a little like Elijah. When we're in the pit of despair, we can run from God. And we can say, God, you, you can't deal with Jezebel. And we look at our pit of despair as the Jezebels. You can't do this. So we run. And God says, no, wait, wait, wait. Keep following me. Keep following me. I've got it. I've got it. I've always had it. And then remember your blessings. Oh, my goodness. We have all been blessed in so many ways. There's a song that we sing, sometimes count your many blessings, and the song continues, name them one by one. Even in this psalm, we're reminded of that. In in Psalm 40 and verse 4, it's not on the screen, he says, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods, Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. You see, as we read even more into this psalm, God is blessed and blessed and blessed us all through our life. And so as we are in the pit of despair, we've got to keep seeking God, worshiping God. We've got to keep following God and counting his blessings. And as we are doing all of these things and adding them into our mind and adding them into our heart, Peace comes. And as the psalmist David said, don't look for people to sometimes help you. The wrong people especially. There are some people that will lead you from God. There are people who will say to you, why do you go through that? Why? And and sometimes we look to non-biblical sources for strength and hope and health. We need to be very careful what we read and what we buy into. And and that's what David mentioned in Psalm 40 and verse number 5. And so we trust God more than anything else in this world when we're in the pit of despair. Let me give you some practical things. Some things you can learn to work on that's related to Scripture's. One I just mentioned, focus on the blessings of God. 
Just focus on God's blessings. When you're in that pit, say, God, I don't want these negative thoughts in my mind. I've got to capture them and seize them and get them out. I want you, God, to remind me of all the things you've done. All the things. Help me see where, where your hand has been in my life. Because it's easier to focus on what's wrong. That's, that is our natural tendency the devil would want to sow into, the, into our mind the seeds of distrust rather than trust and hope in God. And so when we begin to focus on what's wrong and what's not right, rather than the blessings God has given us, we might become hopeless, full of despair. See, God can use the pit of despair to help us see how good he has been to us. Learn to do something positive while you're in the pit of despair. Because if we focus on what's wrong and what's not right and what God isn't doing at the moment you want him to do it, it leads you down that dark path. So do something while you're in the pit. Again, not many of us like to wait. When you go to a restaurant, and they tell you how long the wait's going to be. We have a decision to make, don't we? You go on a Sunday after church, you tell them how many, and they tell you, it'll be 45 minutes. Most of us look at our watch and go, uh-uh, I ain't doing that. But if they tell you 45 minutes, and you say, hmm, all right, I'll stay, and it's only... 20 minutes and you're seated, you consider that a big W. We just won! They probably knew it would be 20 minutes, but they knew if they told you 20 and it was 25, you would lose your ever-loving mind. And then when you sit down at the table and the waitress comes, one of the first things, they, they give you what? The menu. For you to look at it. And you've looked at the menu. You may have been to the restaurant a gazillion times. You may know what you want. And you may still, you're going to look at the menu. Here's what I'm trying to say. When you're in that pit of despair and you're waiting, you, you, we need to learn to do something that God wants us to be doing while we're there. Pray for somebody else. Lift up somebody. Call somebody else. Be an encourager. In other words, take what you are struggling with and redirect the frustration in a more positive way. How can I serve someone? A third thing you could learn to do is to reflect on all of the promises God has given you. The Bible is filled with all kinds of amazing promises and amazing stories. I mean, there's the story of Noah, the story of Abraham, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel. The story of Elijah and Elijah. I get, I get, yeah, Elijah and Elijah. I get there. Anyway, there's the story of Jonah. I mean, in the New Testament, story after story after story of promises reflect on what God has promised and cling to those promises as opposed to the uncertainty.
Life is uncertain. If you came up after and said to me or asked me, do you know what's going to happen today? I would probably go, "Mm, no, because I don't. I don't know what's going to happen at 12.30 today. Today is 9-11. And on this day, several years ago, none of the people in the Twin Towers in New York City knew what was about to happen. The people on board those planes did not know what was about to happen. If they knew, they wouldn't have got on those planes, would they? See, we we live with uncertainty. We live with, I don't know how this day is going to turn out. And if we focus on what might happen, what could happen, and what may never happen but might happen, we will lose our minds. God wants us to reflect on what we do know. God said, I will always be with you. God said, I will never leave you. God says, I have written your name in the palm of my hand. Jesus said, I will lift you out of the water. Jesus said, I will calm the storm. There are so many things God's going to do. Reflect on his promises. Learn to do that. You may look around in your pit of despair and you may say, you know what, this just isn't fair. You know, life just is not fair, is it? Going back to the checkout lines, you ever been in a long checkout line and you're, you're now at the point of no return? I call it the point of no return. You've got your buggy and you're about to load it up when all of a sudden they open a new register. And the people who just got in the line, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. They go over and you're looking at them with, I'm going to use the word disdain. You're just looking at them going, oh, that's not fair. I've been waiting a long time. I should have been the first one to get in that line. Life's just not fair. But God is always just. God's just. When you're in that pit and you've been praying and waiting and praying and waiting and praying and waiting and you're stuck and you just want to get out, learn to remember God is always just. Life's not always fair. But God, you've got this. The evil people of this world will be judged. The people who got to check out before you, they'll get theirs. No, I'm kidding. I do remember once, more than once, going to the varsity downtown Atlanta. And this was before they organized things a little better at the varsity. In the old days of the varsity, if you've ever been there, it was a free-for-all. It was he who spoke loudest received the order. People were just huddled up at the counter, and the folks behind, what do you have, what do you have, what do you have? And somebody would go, oh, two hot dogs. They got, I mean, they were at the back. Yes, sir, I got your order. And you're sitting there going, I've been waiting a long time. Life's not fair. Remember, God is just. And learn to ignore the unfairness in this life. You might need to learn to wait with somebody. 
who understands what you're going through. I haven't experienced everything in this world. But the same is true of all of us. We have all experienced something unique to us. When you're waiting and you're in that pit, you might need to find somebody who's been through something similar and say, can I bend your ear? Can, can I talk with you about what you went through? Because I'm struggling right now. And as you share your story with them and then hear their story, God will merge your hearts together and help you see how he worked in their life and give you hope as you work through it in your life. God never created us to be all alone and by ourselves. We need other people in our life. So you might need to learn to share your journey, share your struggle with somebody who will listen, who's been there, who can help comfort you. In fact, 2 Corinthians said that God has given us this ministry the things that we've gone through to comfort others who are going through something very similar. One final thing to maybe learn to do is called anticipation. Anticipate the blessing. Look forward to the blessing. Look forward to being delivered. Years ago, Heinz Ketchup came out with an ingenious commercial. They had a competitor's bottle of ketchup, and it just right out. Theirs, they used the word anticipation because it was thicker and better. And you anticipated that goo of sugary tomato goodness. We need to look at our life from the lens of Scripture, knowing that God said in Psalm 40, I'm going to deliver you from the pit. I'm going to pull you out. You're not going to pull yourself out of the pit. God says, I will pull you out of the pit, and I will set your feet on solid ground. I will do that. Anticipate it. Just take out your calendar and X off a day. Not today. It didn't happen. But guess what? Tomorrow it might. And then tomorrow comes, exit off. And you keep exiting and you keep anticipating because God promised He will deliver you. He will. Keep looking forward to that which is yet to be received. One of the neat things about hospice is this, if you can call it neat. When someone knows Christ as their Savior and their Lord, and when I say no, they know Jesus. When they first come on hospice care, some are little, this isn't the way I thought it would end. And then as a little time passes, as they work through all of that emotion, see, they're in a pit of despair. And they say, God, you know what? You've given me a wonderful life. You, you've given me so many blessings. And, and I'm going to, I wish I could stay longer, but you know what? I've got something waiting on me that I could never give myself. That's heaven. 
I'll be freed from this body. I, I will be freed from this pain. I will be free. And it's, I love those stories when they come because when those stories come, this also happens. The family, as they watch their husband, their wife, their mother, their father, their sister, their brother, or their son or their daughter, near the end, and they hear them talk about how God has given them peace before they breathe their last, it helps them also experience God's peace. What a beautiful story it is for that gentleman I had cared for several years ago now, in his 40s, dying of cancer, children still living at home and said, you know what, I will see them again. And they will see me because they know Jesus. We have to learn to anticipate the blessing that awaits us. Now, that doesn't always mean death, okay? It doesn't always mean death. God's going to deliver you from your pit. Things that are valuable take a lot of time. I cannot remember how long it takes for a diamond to become a diamond. But if you know a little bit about diamonds, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of time for that to become a beautiful, valuable stone. You and I are very similar. God says, I am making you into a beautiful jewel. You're under pressure right now. You're under pressure right now. I know it's hard. I know it's tough. I know it's difficult. But trust me, when you get through this, it's going to be amazing. Hang in there. I'm going to deliver you from the pit. Hang in there. I've got you. Hang in there. Trust me. Hang in there. It's going to be all right. I'm walking with you, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As they were thrown into that fiery furnace, And when Nebuchadnezzar looked in, he said, wait a minute. How many people did we throw in there? I thought we threw three. Why are there four? And he said, and the fourth one looks like the Son of God. That's because Jesus was with them in the fiery furnace. And Jesus is with you in your furnace. And he'll be with you through the end. He will not let even a hair on your head become singed. Just keep trusting, following, worshiping, seeking, praising, anticipating. Do it all, and God will lift you out. And when you get to the other side, you're going to go, whoa, what a journey that was. Now, you might say, I don't want to do that anytime again. But there will be more moments until we get to our eternal home. Let's pray together.